Morning, everyone. It is truly good to see all of your faces this morning after a couple of years of masks. So I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1. Uh, for those of you new to the faith or exploring Christianity, that's near the back of the Bible, a little cluster of books called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, we're diving into a new series uh, in this Gospel uh, we're calling it Jesus in Depth, and uh, we feel like there's, this is a time of a lot of misconceptions about Jesus, even a constant search for heroes, even a minimizing of Christ in some ways. And what we want to do is get to the real story about Jesus, uh, the one who calls us to a life following after him. And so believing that, would you please stand for the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word? Starting... In verse 14, Mark tells us about Jesus when he says, Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, getting something started, something big started, can be a formidable experience. I mean, maybe you've had that feeling with a big project at work, uh, maybe renovating uh, the house or even, dare I say, starting a church. Um, last week, I told you about a big adventure and a, even a formidable one that I had with some friends about eight years ago. Eight years ago, we, I, I and some friends went out to British Columbia to mountaineer up an 8,300-foot mountain called Mount Albert. Yeah, that's really a groovy name. And uh, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done, and I have to tell you, it was intimidating right from the start. Eleven of us including our guides, got on the boat and drove from our island to the mainland. Uh, we got off the boat, onto a dock, put on our 60-pound packs on our backs, and then we walked to the end of the dock, and right there is where the trailhead was. It went straight up. I mean, we were starting right off the bat, climbing in some shape, form, or fashion, going up through a forest for hours on end, so as we're winding through the forest, I and a few others started to uh, uh, fail a little bit, and we're struggling along in the back. And uh, on the steep sections, this is just such a kind of middle-aged thing, I, I was uh, getting kind of uh, a heaving for air, uh, trying to get, catch my breath. And all along, I have to tell you guys, I was thinking, man, they were just getting started, and uh, I'm not sure I'm going to make it on this thing. So, uh, uh, tagging along behind us was a, one of our other guides, and I called him forward, and I said, hey, let's talk a little bit. So, we're talking and climbing and talking, and 
I say, I got to tell you, man, I'm really struggling right now. I'm, I don't know how we're going to do this and how I'm going to make it. And I say, what, what do you usually do in stuff like this? He said, well, one thing is we can fly a helicopter in and pick you up at our next stop. And I was like, whoa, um, okay, I, I don't want to do that <laughs> for my sake or even for their sake. And then he said, but I tell you what, just wait. We're going to stop here in a short time. Let me just show you some things. So I said, all right. So we're, we finally stopped. And when we stopped, uh, he began, he got up and while we were all sitting around kind of resting, he started showing us something. He started showing us how to walk up a mountain. Now, I didn't know there was such a way to do that. Uh, and it made sense to me when he was showing us this, why guys could actually make it up something like Everest, for example. And he said this, this is what he said. He said, look, the way you're walking, you're using all your muscles and you're wearing yourself out in the process. Here's how you climb up a mountain. You step and lock your knee. Step and lock your knee. Step and lock your knee. That way, you're putting all of your weight on your skeleton rather than through your muscles. And so sure enough, we got started and everybody knew I was struggling, so they put me at the front of the line, right behind the, the head guide, and I was walking right behind him and watching him do that very thing, walk, lock his knee, walk, lock his knee. I was doing the same thing. So I made it like 30 minutes, an hour, a couple of hours. And I'm like, hey, this is working. <laughs> I'm not that tired. I mean, I'm feeling a little bit, but it's not nearly as bad as I thought. So I made it all the way up and all the way back down using this very thing and learning how to walk. The formidable for me became a feat. Now, I got to admit, sometimes in life we are faced with big, formidable challenges. Things seem too big, like a great mountaineering trip. But here's the thing what if someone came to you and said, Come with me and let's walk up a mountain together? What if God invited you to do that? How would you respond? Well, today in Mark chapter 1, we're going to see Jesus Christ making his first moves in ministry and calling people to walk with him on what is probably the greatest adventure that one could ever experience in life, and that is following Jesus. So today, we're going to look at Jesus in depth and see more about who he is and what he wants of us uh, it particularly through his preaching as the king, through the king's call to us, and even analyzing what exactly it looks like to follow Jesus. So, let's get into the book. Let's get into Mark 1. Let's remember where, what's happened thus far. Jesus has been introduced to the world by a guy named John the Baptist. John the Baptist was in the wilderness, and he was uh, inviting people to come out and hear him speak. People were coming, including Jesus. And all the while, John was talking about someone who was greater than him that was coming. And John the Baptist was merely echoing what the Old Testament had said for millennia. All the prophets had spoken about this coming Christ who would change the world and change uh, everything about the world. So at his baptism, Jesus uh, was ordained. He was uh, ordained in a priestly role, which would one day lead him to the cross for us. And then the last thing he does, uh, prior to our text, is he goes out into the wilderness for another 40 days and was tempted by Satan. 
where the first Adam, back in Genesis 3, didn't make it through the temptation and fell to temptation, Jesus held it up in his, uh, his faithfulness to God. Then coming out of all of that sequence of events, this happens in verse 14. Look at that. It says, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus' ministry starts off with this big bang. As John the Baptist has been arrested and detained, uh, Jesus takes center stage. And he leaves the wilderness, goes back to Galilee. And that, you got to know, is a little surprising. You'd think he would go back to the New York City, the L.A. of Palestine, which was Jerusalem at the time. Instead, he starts in the outback of Galilee. It'd be a little bit like starting your ministry uh, in Spivey's Corner, North Carolina, a.k.a. the hollering capital of the world. He heads to Galilee, where he does two things in this hollering capital. He proclaims the gospel of God, and he teaches what that means. Now, notice the first thing he does. He proclaims the gospel. Gospel, you remember, is good news. News that changes things. News that changes us. News that brings joy with a big win. I love what Tim Keller says about the difference between Christianity as gospel and the other religions of the world. Keller says the essence of religions of the world is one thing, advice. Advice. Advice on how to live. Christianity, on the other hand, is first and foremost life-changing news that brings joy. Jesus starts with this life-changing news, preaching with that joy in mind. And guys, you got to know that's his first job. Did you notice that's kind of the first thing he does here? It's not healing. It's not political maneuvering or acts of power. He just told people the gospel of God. That, that above all the drama of men that goes on in this world, and we got some drama, above all of that, above all the things that go on in our families, that go on in America, that go on in Ukraine right now, there is a God over that rescuing people who's on a great mission to bring us life. The shocker is that Jesus starts his ministry not with maneuvering with power, but with words of power. With words of power. Just like God formed the world with words at Genesis 1, so Jesus would begin forming a new creation, a new people with, of all things, words. That's what he chose to do. Verse 15 tells us the heart and summary of Jesus' words. If you look at that, he says three things. It says he, he's preached, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Now, we'll come back to repent and believe later, but what exactly does he mean by the time is fulfilled? What Jesus is saying in that sense is that the plan of God in the story of people, and let me just put it a little closer for all of us, our story, 
my story, your story, it all comes together in the promises of God in Christ. That time after time, leaders in our age, even the leaders in the Bible, blew it and always fell short. I mean, even David and Moses fell short. And certainly the people of God, like you and me, fall short with idolatry and sin. But there was one. One king who got it right. One, one Christ who came to rescue us from ourselves. We need somebody to get it right. So the king showed up personally. The king showed up personally. Now let's get that straight about Jesus. He is not an elected president who relies on the favor or votes of men. He's not a social media influencer. He's not just a talented teacher who has some nice things to say. He's a king, a king who understood himself as being the Lord of all and who wants to invade our lives being our Lord too. Now, you see that lordship at work when Jesus as the king preached about the second thing. He said, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. Okay, real quick, what's the kingdom of God? Well, a helpful working definition is one that Josh and I use from Graham Goldsworthy that is a useful one on your, in your back pocket if you want it. One definition of the kingdom would be God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. God's rule uh, kind of sums up the kingdom in many ways. But I would tweak Graham's Goldworthy's definition just a little and say this. That definition I gave you can be a little static. So we might change it by saying God's people in God's place under God's rule and mission. The kingdom of God is where God's rule breaks into our lives as he is moving forward in mission. That's one of the things you find throughout the book of Mark is so many times it starts with these, a series of ands and ands and ands. You're gonna, as we read through, it's always an and, and there's so many immediately's, and that's because God is moving. He's on a mission. He's got a purpose in what he's doing. So God's rule is moving in God's rescue mission. That's another way to think of the kingdom. Okay, what about all this stuff? What's this got to do with us? The preaching of the king, the kingdom. What's that got to do with us now? Well, here it is. Fundamentally, Jesus came to rescue us on his rescue mission. He came with great power and salvation 2,000 years ago. We couldn't rescue ourselves in sin, so he came to do it personally. But there is more. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, he's saying he wants to be Lord and Savior over every aspect of our lives. He's moving towards us and in us to conquer the one thing nobody else in, in the world could ever conquer, the human heart. And I got to tell you, sometimes he does it with serious disruptions. You know, one test of the Lord, of Christ's lordship in our lives would be, as uh, one guy says, uh, one, uh, Dick Woodward says, sometimes you can tell where Jesus is in lordship of somebody's life by their pocketbook and by their date book, how they use their time. 
Well, Jesus wants to be Lord of our pocketbook. Let me kind of illustrate what it's like and how disruptive it could be with Jesus as Lord sometimes of our, even our pocketbook. Jesus wants us to be generous, just like he is generous. Now, imagine Jesus saying to me, Dean, I want you to be generous, just as I have been generous to you. So, you know, my first response would be this. It would be like this. I'd take out my wallet, take out a few dollars and say, okay, Jesus, here. Here's a few dollars. It's 20 bucks. Jesus would say, okay, well, that's a start. I don't think you understand. I don't want your 20 bucks. I want your wallet. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, give me your wallet. So I hand him over the wallet and he says, okay, that's really good. That's a good start. But I got to tell you something else. That's not all I want. It's not about the money. What I really want is you and your heart. That's what I really want. That, my friends, can be disruptive. That alters how you live every day. And that's something you and I have to learn about Jesus more and more. He wants us in our hearts. He's a Lord on the move in our lives, and he's going to disrupt our lives regularly, trying to lead us to himself in the process. Indeed, I would suggest to you, you, don't, you should not miss that Jesus is in the business of disrupting our lives with changing circumstances. So we'll come to grips with who he really is and bring everything in our lives under his lordship. Don't miss this. Every time life is disrupted, and oh Lord, have we not known disruption the last few years, that's an opportunity to see Christ as king, not yourself. Ask Simon. Ask Andrew. Ask James and John in our text today. Simon, of course, is called Peter as well. And when Jesus left John the Baptist and, and his 40 days in the wilderness, he made his way to the Sea of Galilee. And when he got there, he put a major disruption in these fishermen's lives. Look at verse 16 with me. It says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a, a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And check us out, verse 18. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. So Jesus' first act was to proclaim the gospel, but his second act of mission was to call disciples to follow him. Now let's think about this for a second. Imagine with me if you're at work one day doing stuff around the office, and let's say it's a really busy day. Or imagine you're at home or your mom running around doing things for the kids and families trying to get things done. Imagine you're a kid at school studying in class. Now, imagine Jesus Christ himself walking in the room into your space and saying this, stop what you're doing, follow me. Stop what you're doing. Follow me. How would you respond? Would you drop everything and follow him? Well, don't be too quick to answer that. 
Because even I have to pause for a th- second and think about that. I mean, my response is kind of an achievement-oriented, task-oriented person is like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, let me get some things done, Jesus. <laughs> but no, nah, that's not what these guys did. They left everything. In fact, in verses, uh, verse 20, it seems to imply that James and John left their dad in the boat going, where are you guys going? <laughs> Why in the world would they leave their jobs on the spot to go with Jesus? Well, I want to highlight a couple of, of reasons here. First, Jesus commanded them, follow me, which, uh, which follow me may be one of Jesus' uh, favorite things to say, as he says it all over the Gospels to all kind of people. But you got to know this. This is a different thing than what actually and normally happened in, in following in the first century. You know, in the first century, usually... When someone wanted, a disciple wanted to follow a rabbi, they would ask the rabbi. In this case, Jesus is doing the inviting. And here's the point. God makes the first move towards us. God elects us to a life of following with that effectual call, that call to follow me. And it breathes life into us through the power of the Holy Spirit Christ changes our hearts. He enables us to believe in him. That's what we said in our catechism question this morning. Christ makes the first move towards us. Well, well, what's that got to do with us? Well, don't miss it. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to engage you personally. And not only that, uh, uh, he not only that, Jesus' call to follow is that holy disruption that all of us really don't like when we ha- like to have our lives kind of structured and controlled. Jesus is saying, I want you to stop everything and focus on me and what I want with you and for you. It's his way of saying, you can put me off, but you can't put me off for long because you've got to deal with me. We should be familiar with such language from God himself. The first commandment of the Ten Commandments is a very disruptive command. You shall have no other gods before me. Let me state it positively. You shall have me alone as your God. That's what the first commandment is about. Well, guess what follow me is? It's Jesus' way of saying, uh, you shall have me alone as your Lord and Savior. Follow me is more, though. It is a call not only to follow him, but to follow in the way that Jesus walks his life with God. Now, you got to understand, I had this experience on the mountaineering trip I've been telling you about. We ran into some interesting challenges after I learned to lock my knees. We're like really getting close to the top of the mountain, and it's morning. First thing, we wake up, we put on our packs, we're camp is broken, we're ready to go, and all of us as, a, as guys are standing around waiting for our, our uh, guides. And we're on this ledge on the side of a mountain, a, a not a very big one, and we're looking around going, so where are we going next? Because the only way to take an, a trail is back down from where we came from. <laughs> so, so our guides look at us and they laugh and they say, that way. And right there in front of us was this giant incline with nothing but snow on it. 
and we're going. Say what? And they're like, yep. And all of us are going, man, this guy, these guys are nuts. A bunch of middle-aged guys, we can't do this. And here's what he said. One of the guys said this. He said, just do what I do. And remember, I'm first in line right behind the first guide. So here's what happens. The guide takes his shoe, puts it into the snow. Then he takes another step, puts his shoe into the snow, and keeps going, making steps. And he says, just step where I've stepped. So that's what I did. I did it, stepped in where he stepped. Then the next guy does the same thing. We're just all following along in the footsteps of our guide. That, my friends, is what it means to follow Jesus. You're following in his footsteps. You're doing what he would do and how he lives his life. Now, what does that look like for us on a practical level? Following in the footsteps of Jesus. Well, the first thing you got to do is what John 10 says. In that, Jesus says this interesting thing about following. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Another way he says, you got to listen for God's voice in the gospel word right here in the scriptures. You've got to follow the pattern of sound words like Paul says, and take that step into the snow. Second, Mark chapter 8 tells us further what it means to follow Jesus. Sometimes you'll follow him into suffering. Sometimes you'll follow him into suffering. Listen to this. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. What is it Dietrich Bonhoeffer has said? And he lived under the oppression of the Nazis and the easy believism of his age. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. If you follow Jesus, he is not an add-on to life or some form of self-improvement. He calls you to die, to die to things that you think are life but are, in fact, idols. And in the process, he'll raise you as the king. We'll talk more about this in the book of Mark. But there is one last thing that makes up following Jesus with steps in the snow. Did you notice what Jesus said to his own disciples? He told the disciples that he would make them fishers of men. In other words, Jesus apparently connects following him to doing mission with him, to participating in the rescue of sinners. Now, that has a direct application to us as a church. This is the great commission of making disciples in terms of fishing. If anyone ever asks you, what is the job of the followers of Jesus at South Charlotte Prez, our answer is simple, great commission, make disciples of all men. That's what we're to do together. Fellowship, worship, all the good stuff that we do together as church is fantastic, but the focus should be moving forward in mission by making disciples. Now, I know as soon as I say that, even the Christians here will say, man, that's just really intimidating. <laughs> Telling people about Jesus in our post-Christian age seems too big. Well, here's what I would tell you. If you look at the Greek in this text, it says, I will make you to become fishers of men. The idea is Jesus will train you. He will lead you. He will grow you in it. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, and you've been following Jesus for like 20 years or 30 years, and you're thinking, ah, man, I just don't feel connected to God, or I don't feel like I'm growing, let me ask you, are you investing your life in non-Christians, in your neighborhood or your workplace? If you do, you'll grow. Are you investing your life in the young people of our church, new Christians in our church? You will grow as you fish for men. That's how it works. And that brings up a larger question. Why should we be fishing? What's the big deal with fishing? Well, if you haven't picked it up already, the gospel is that Christ is a fisherman. And we walk in his footsteps. The Old Testament has a handful of texts that talk about God as the fisherman who gathers people from the judgment to come. And that's our job at South Charlotte Press, to gather people because God is already ahead of us doing work, doing things in people's hearts. You don't have to be the Holy Spirit doing the advance work or the changing work. The Holy Spirit will do that. Your job is just to share the story, the story of Christ that transforms, not just advice. No doubt, making disciples like climbing Mount Albert is quite a challenge. We do live in a post-Christian age, meaning people are hardened or dismissive of Christianity more than ever. It's like that old book, I kiss dating goodbye. Well, people now are kissing Christianity goodbye. And even more, my friend Ted Powers says it this way, the hardest mission field in America right now is upper middle class suburbia. Sound familiar? But here's our hope. Jesus is moving. God is on a rescue, to, to, on a rescue mission for his people. He's the one who conquers hearts. Our job is just to preach the gospel to ourselves, remembering we've been rescued, and that he's had power in our lives, and he's changing us. And then we go and share that story with others. Take the pressure off yourself when doing the mission of Jesus. Remember what the famous saying of fishing is, right? They call it fishing, not catching. So we've talked about King Jesus, who came with a message about his kingdom and how that kingdom disrupts our lives. King Jesus is on this mission of rescuing people and calls us to be a part of this great fishing expedition that we do together. But that begs the question then, what should we do in light of this gospel going out, in light of this invitation to even share the gospel? Look at verse 14, ver, uh, the third part of it with me real quickly. Look at what it says. Jesus says, uh, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, and here it is. This is how we respond. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus the king is here. He wants to be Lord of my life, and he wants to be Lord of your life. So he tells us the first steps, to walk into the snow with him. You repent and believe. They go together like twins. You can't have one without the other. We have a repentant faith. 
We have a believing repentance in how we live. And what you have to understand is that when you follow Jesus in faith and repentance, it is like learning a new way to walk. You say, you and I are used to walking with our familiarity in um, sin or even worldliness or hanging on to idols in our lives, but Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to walk a different way. And so when you learn to walk a different way, it feels strange. It feels odd. You're thinking in your heart and your mind, this can't be right. But if you spend a lifetime following the idols of this age, it's going to seem strange to actually follow Jesus. Indeed, that is what repentance and faith is. Repentance is a walking that is a turn, going 180 degrees in a different direction, whereas you once followed the gods or yourself even, now you follow Christ. Belief is where you, is where you embrace Jesus and even rest on what he's done for you. See, that's the crazy thing. Religiosity says turn and perform. Christianity says turn and and rest in what Christ has done for you, then you'll act. Rest in his cross and his resurrection, then you will act. And oh, us religious types, we just love the, oh, I turned, but now I'm performing for God. Yeah, that's not Christianity. Christianity is where you embrace Jesus. Behavior matters. Certainly, Jesus highlights that when he talks about fruit. But you got to understand, it's got to be a behavior with Jesus as the center point of the process. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to think about this for a second. Aren't you tired of all the advice? Isn't it like weighing you down? Now, of course, some advice is really good. We should heed it. But what if Jesus of the scriptures came to you, walked up to you today and said, follow me, what would you do? What if he said, walk with me, what would you do? I encourage you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Dare to say, Lord, I need you. If you've been a follower of Christ for some time, let me ask you, what new thing is Jesus interrupting your life with these days? What's the disruption that's like, oh, man, he's getting in my way? Oh, that's exactly where he wants to be a part of your life. That's exactly where he wants you to meet him in a new faith and repentance. Don't you know as a Christian, faith and repentance is a life where you're always turning to Jesus, where you're always going and following him in fresh new ways and how you do marriage and how you do parenting and how you work, the attitudes you have at work, even the attitudes we have towards government. Lord, help us. Jesus calls us to turning as a part of that as a life. In other words, as a Christian, you need to dare to say, Lord, I need you again. <laughs> I admit, the trek on winding trails and steep slopes can be really challenging. But remember the thing about the gospel. It's meant to be good news. 
Joy is supposed to go with actually encountering Christ and following him personally in the process. Following Christ is meant to make you laugh like a kid. You know, when my friends got to the top of the mountain, we had to come back down, which was a challenge, too, for me, just so you know. In fact, we came to this one point, once again, as we were coming down the mountain, we were going a different route, and we came to this place where uh, the trail was behind us coming down, and we were once again at this place, we're like, where are we going to go? And you know, our guides at this point, they're used to that question. They're just laughing. And they said, watch us, and we'll show you what to do. He pulls out his uh, raincoat, he puts it on the ground, he sits on it with his feet out front, and he said, what we're going to do now is we're going to glacier down this snowy part of the slope. Glacierings where you sit on your bum, you go down and you use your feet as the brakes. So we start going down one after the other after the other, and you could hear us all screaming and laughing going crazy like little kids. It was so fun. I mean, hundreds of feet of this. You just keep going and going and going. Guys, that's what it's like to follow Jesus. Oh, it's hard going uphill sometimes, no doubt. And you've got to learn new ways to walk. But I promise you, there is a day now and even into eternity, especially into eternity, where you're going to be glaciering down that mountain and going, yes, I love following Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you today. All of us come with a lot of things on our hearts. We're celebrating because we don't have to wear masks today. Thank you, Jesus. We also come with different things on our hearts that feel just too big for us. And sometimes that big thing is actually our sin. And so we pray today, Lord, that you would meet us right here and now in the power of the Spirit. And we dare to imagine you walking up to us and initiating a conversation with us and saying, follow me right now. Lord, we need you. Hear our prayers in Christ's name. Amen.